0: the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's
1: Gene Steinberg. So this appears to be one of the few episodes we've actually prepared for the Paracast in recent weeks, where the friendly neighborhood folks at Microsoft and Skype have not fouled us up, where maybe I am, shall we say, challenging the powers that be. I don't know. Our guest this week is Michael Mays, first time on the PowerCast, but I gather he's listened to us before, which is always good to know. Tim Swartz is our special co-host and we're going to be exploring critters. Okay? Michael Mays is evidently an expert on out of place known animals or those that may or may not exist the past 15 years. Now we know lots of species of animals are becoming extinct all the time. So, is there any connection with that, Michael? Maybe peripherally. Uh, mainly, I'm
2: I'm I'm looking and involved in uh, what would typically be considered a cryptid. You know, an animal that you know the very existence of it anywhere at any time is debatable and uh, has yet to be proven so that, that's where i spend the bulk of my time now there are there's kind of a subcategory of out-of-place animals that sometimes uh, i had a report a few years ago of an alligator in cross plains texas which is way out west uh, nearly the abilene they it had no business being there no doubt somebody's pet got released but people were freaking out about you know this monster that were seen seeing in their stock ponds and stuff, and it turned out to be an alligator. So sometimes the root of these things turn out to be something that's known but out of place, so we try to get to the bottom of that. And then I guess there's a third category, which would be animals that existed at one time but are thought to be extinct now, but uh, sometimes that's debatable. One such as the, the ivory-billed woodpecker would kind of fall into that category. So that, that's kind of where I spend the bulk of my time is in, in those areas.
1: When it comes to a, a critter that is in the wrong place, like a crocodile or something, is it possible somebody, some wiseacre decided to bring it in and then it got out of hand? Oh, a- absolutely.
2: Uh, sometimes it's intentionally done. Um, sometimes it's done. People have, uh, their motives aren't bad necessarily, but it gets out of hand. Uh, A great example of that would be uh, these pythons that are all over the Florida Everglades now. These were initially pets that were bought and sold through the exotic pet trade, and they got unmanageable. They get get big, and they, they get, depending on the species, some are meaner than others, more aggressive, and they got to be a handful. So a lot of people thought they were doing them a favor you know they didn't have the heart to put the animal down so they just turn it loose in an environment that uh it's not meant for and so these things have gotten loose in florida and they they've kind of taken over they have no natural predators there so they're wreaking havoc on the the ecosystem So that that's a prime example of an animal that doesn't belong there that was released and and now they're breeding like crazy
1: so it also, it's possible that dealers are selling these things to make money. Now, I'll tell you a crazy story. This goes back to like 1966, where my first wife and I, that was Geneva, she and I, well, she saw this ad about get a squirrel monkey, whatever that is, which is a tiny kind of monkey. And it would only cost 29.95 plus shipping. And we never had a pet before big mistake so we did get the thing and the thing as soon as she takes it out of this cage it's running around the place it bites like crazy and eventually we found a way to rid ourselves of it in a humane way but the point being here is there are people who think this is cool i'll get a pet who's it and it really serves the interests of people who are selling those things but uh, lots of other people don't do not understand what they're getting themselves into.
2: Yeah, that that's absolutely true. When I was doing research uh, for my uh, book called Shadow Cats, which was looking into the Black Panther phenomenon, uh, I, I discovered that the exotic pet trade is second only on the black market to uh, weapons and drugs, as far as you know, just illicit black market business and so it it ranges from everything from like the big cats you know tigers lions and things like that down to like alligators and snakes and things like that uh, small primates like you mentioned my own father back when he was uh, a teenager his family went to florida on a short vacation and he bought a little baby alligator and brought it back here to uh to texas now we've already got alligators here but he he was keeping it as a pet and uh uh, started to get big and fortunately you know the family dog uh actually took care of the little gator uh, a few more months and it the situation probably would have been reversed but uh so uh but yes, it can be just as simple as that. You know, someone doesn't have the heart, you know, to dispatch an animal that's an invasive that doesn't belong there and they turn it loose. And again, doing the research for the, the Shadow Cats book, uh, I came across the account of a guy in Arkansas. He had a tiger and it's very expensive, you know, to feed a tiger. And so he didn't want to do it anymore. And. How he thought this was a good idea, I'll never know. He put it in a cage in his truck, and he drove about a 100 miles away and turned it loose in the woods in Arkansas just a horrible idea for many reasons and and then uh, of course this thing was raised from a cub and it it couldn't really hunt couldn't really take care of itself Uh, a week later he came home from work and it's laying on his porch waiting for him It it had managed to find its way home so you know there's all kinds of stories like that out there and this is how you know invasives um can just infiltrate an area and it's also where some of these cryptid sightings can take place um, uh, some sort of exotic animal that's not native to the area that people in that particular region are, are not familiar with could very easily jump to the wrong conclusion you know if a, if an orangutan or gorilla somehow got loose in the woods and some hunter saw that he, you know some hunter in Texas is not going to think gorilla. He's going to think more than likely, you know, Bigfoot, uh, something like that. So th- this is the kind of thing we try to get to the bottom of and uh, some of the things I'll look into.
1: By the way, I did look up squirrel monkeys, and today it costs between <laughs> two and $4,000 to buy one. Not that I uh-huh. want to buy one. Don't send one to me as a gift. We have a nice little dog, and he keeps us busy enough. But uh, it costs us twenty nine ninety right? five. Now, I don't know, in terms of the offer, whether you were getting a healthy animal or what. It was a silly thing to do. We were just kids, newly married, and we did a foolish thing. But the less foolish thing, though, is when you're looking at out of place animals. How do you separate the stuff that there's a reason why they might be there, and it's all about greed? Or something of the nature, or these things are there because of something weird going on. Well, sometimes you you,
2: you never do get to the bottom of that. Sometimes it's it, it again, it's the the pet trade, um, something along the lines of what you just just described, what what you and your first wife did. Um, you know, nobody's intending any ill consequences from it, but they maybe just didn't think it all the way out and they brought this thing in. Sometimes environmental pressures, um, habitat, uh, destruction, deforestation, things like that. Um, when uh, an animal's home, wherever that might be, uh, is threatened or taken away, they have to go somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, the the neighborhood where i'm in now didn't used to be so much of a neighborhood uh, and we would hear the coyotes you know crying and howling
1: all night you know uh four or five times a week it was it was really cool you know what's really cool these announcements coming up and we've got michael jean and tim you're in the Pericast. hey listeners
5: Did you know that you could easily be saving up to 90% on your taxes by simply making a phone call? That's right. The Fortune 500, the globalists, all the big billionaires and millionaires, they know about the loopholes written into the law where most of them pay almost zero tax. In fact, many of them pay no tax. You even see it on the news. How are they able to do that, but the common person can't? Dot com. That's GCN taxcut.com. The only way you miss out is not making the phone call. Make it now. GCN's policy is open forum avoiding censorship. Defense costs for words spoken
6: outside of our control supersede the ability to deliver voices to this important talk platform. The First Amendment is the foundation of our core values. Cancel culture is silencing voices regardless of perspective. Freedom to speak is in the balance. Support the legitimacy of speech itself. Consider donating to SaveGCN.com. Let's SaveGCN.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. The environment you were in was really cool. A small town, a forested area, what? Well, it really wasn't forested area. I grew up in in East Texas, a forested
2: area, but I'm um, in Central Texas now is where I live, and it's more open. It's kind of um, kind of the beginning of the Texas Hill Country, I guess you could say. But you know, the coyotes are were out and about. Got a healthy deer population, and we would hear them, you know, nightly. And uh, as development picked up more and more homes were were added and and roads were put in you know we don't hear them anymore at, here at the house those animals went somewhere now they were forced out and so they're now living somewhere where they did not before similar things like that can happen to other species it can force them into areas where they are not found naturally, and I think that's something that can happen. Uh, a lot of the big cat sightings, the communal mountain lions and, and bobcats and things, are, are kind of learning to live on the periphery of society, and because they just have nowhere else to go. There's a pretty well-known incident in Los Angeles: a uh, mountain lion living in a park right in the middle of the town for years and years. Didn't bother people. Came out at night, but it's living in downtown L.A. Basically, and that's not by choice, you know. That that they're doing what they have to do, and so sometimes environmental pressures like that force them to go somewhere else. Uh, I'm sure there are numerous other reasons, you know. Animals do wander. Uh, sometimes you have a dominant, you have an alpha uh, head of a pack or a group or a troop or whatever you want to call it, and they don't tolerate younger males, and they force them out, and and so they go in search of their own group to start, and and they have to establish their own territories, you know, somewhere else. So there are a lot of reasons an animal could end up somewhere where it originally was not and and really probably should not be.
6: One of the fascinating things, you know, we were talking about uh, out-of-place animals is the um, feral pigs, and I think it was your website that had these absolutely fascinating pictures of, of of some of these pigs that are just absolutely huge in size, and a lot of people don't realize they're called wild boars, but they're a lot of them are descended from uh, domesticated pigs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, they they, they all are. Um, hogs were not native. To Texas, or, or or they were brought over with the the European explorers when they started to come over to the quote New World uh, and quote, uh, and they got out and established themselves, and they do quite well. the The really large ones like that tend to actually be um, escaped domestics who haven't been feral very long. It's it's amazing the transformation that takes place in, in a domestic hog once it gets out. Uh, the tusks grow, the hair gets thicker and, and wirier, and, and they they just turn into a – the snout lengthens. It, it, it's really amazing what can happen in just a generation. So a lot of the really big ones, these hogzillas you've heard about, they're probably only a generation or two removed from being domestic stock that the the ones that are truly wild and feral now that you can get some big ones in excess of 200 pounds 300 400 pounders they're they're the exception uh to the rule for sure but uh an example of an invasive here in texas you can hunt them year-round and don't even have to have a hunting license to to shoot a feral hog in texas there's so many of them Mm.
6: In your uh, latest book, "Valley of the Apes: Search for Sasquatch in Area X," you know it seems like you're always <laughs> running into uh, uh, these wild pigs, and, and and really have to exercise a lot of caution uh, because they're extremely dangerous. Yeah, I, th- I think their reputation
2: is a bit overblown, but mm-hmm. you you have to be respectful. Uh, like any animal they come in all temperaments just like people do and you come across one little boar that's having a bad day and uh you know he can Hmm. he can ruin your day in a a hurry uh so you have to watch for him and honestly as far as when we're out and about especially in, in east texas um in Louisiana, they're, they're really bad. They're not quite as bad up in Oklahoma, where uh, the area, our study area that we call Area X, is. It's just so rocky; it's it's hard for them to to do all the rooting around they need to do to survive. It's a little tougher on them up there, but uh, but in points farther south, piney woods of East Texas, for example, yeah, they're they're just overrun. We're overrun here in Central Texas, and it's a very different environment. And uh, they can be very aggressive. You're you're right. I'm I worry about running into a, a hog more than anything else probably
6: <laughs> I know my own <laughs> past experiences with them in the wild if you know out there in the dark if you don't realize what you're hearing you hear those things. Mm-hmm. You know, screaming at night, it will raise the hair on the back of your neck. If you don't know what you're hearing, you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, I uh,
2: I would really encourage anybody that's going to um, be out in the woods at night to really learn the the sounds of the native animals. I mean, because there are a lot of things that are very, you know, run-of-the-mill that, that will just scare the pants off of you if you don't know what they are. Uh, if, you, if you've ever heard a, a rabbit screaming, or a fox, you'll just think there's just a horrible monster out there. I mean, it, it really, if you don't know what it is, like you said, it's just, it's just hair raising It's terrifying. And, and so I would really advise people who are going to be out in the woods at night to to learn those sounds, you know, learn what a screaming Fox sound like, what a caterwauling Bobcat sounds like, because it just sounds otherworldly out there. And, uh, you know, when you're out there in the dark, you know, your imagination tends to take off a little faster than it might in in the daylight. So, you know, you want to really be as familiar as you can with, with the sounds that these uh, regular critters make.
6: Now, um, your... And I, I, I don't want to say your original interest, but uh, you know your 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 website at first, you know, dealt quite a bit with um, you know b- uh, black cats out of place uh, uh, of felines that, uh, and uh, and and you've branched out now into uh, Bigfoot research. I mean, you know, were you always interested in Bigfoot, or did this just happen to be you know a natural prog- progression from your uh, uh, initial interest in
2: uh, uh, big black cats. Well, I was actually um, involved in the Bigfoot stuff before the interest in the black cats came up. Okay. Uh, as mm-hmm. a as a child of the '70s, it was kind of a golden age for Bigfoot. You know, you all saw right. uh, the Six Million Dollar Man fought Bigfoot on TV, and and the Legend of Boggy Creek came out, and all that kind of the Patterson Gimlin footage was only a few years old at that time. So as a kid, I was always fascinated with it and was actually already a member of, uh, uh, the group I'm involved with now. Um, at that time, I started writing the blog because I do have interest other than, than just in the Sasquatch phenomenon.
1: Let's do our break here, sir. We've okay. got Michael, Jean and Tim looking about strange critters. Hmm. You're in the Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNLive.com today.
8: No matter if supply lines are down, product deliveries are slow, and that most everything costs more these days you still have neck and shoulder pain, right? Good news. Sunny Bay has new products that target neck and shoulder pain. Products that are in stock now, ready to ship anywhere now. Like our extra long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs. You can heat them in a microwave oven and they come in a variety of colors and patterns. And for stress relief, get our lavender scented hands free neck wraps. Or maybe you need one of our smaller lower back wraps. Great for seniors. Again,
6: USA Radio News
5: with Kenneth Burns.
9: State senators in Indiana approve a near-total ban on abortion by a single vote in a rare Saturday session. The bill would prohibit the procedure unless rape or incest is involved. If the pregnancy is less than 8 weeks post-fertilization, 12 weeks for someone younger than 16 years old, In either situation, a notarized affidavit attesting to the attack would be required. The legislation now moves to the state house for public testimony and possible amendments. President Biden back in isolation after testing positive again for COVID-19. There have been no reemergence of symptoms, and the president is doing quite well, says White House physician Kevin O'Connor, who adds there is no reason to reinitiate treatment at this time. Upcoming trips out of Washington have been canceled. July turned out to be the best month for Wall Street since November 2020. This is USA Radio News. New York City declaring monkeypox a public health emergency... A day after New York State declared a disaster emergency over the outbreak, the Big Apple, the epicenter of the outbreak in the U.S., is getting 80,000 doses of the vaccine to deal with monkeypox. The U.S. has more than 4,600 cases of monkeypox. About a third of them are in New York State. The Biden administration is thinking about declaring monkeypox a federal health emergency. More than 50 Ukrainian prisoners of war were killed and another 75 were wounded in an attack in a separatist-controlled area of eastern Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia are blaming each other for the dust of the POWs. According to Ukrainian officials, the Kremlin launched nighttime attacks. The International Red Cross is asked to visit the prison to ensure that the wounded had proper treatment. The $1.3 billion Mega Millions jackpot will not be going to me. It will, however, go to whoever bought a ticket at a Speedway in Des Plaines, Illinois. You are listening to USA Radio News.
10: Hey, trader, listen up. The markets have changed. Have you changed your trading strategies? Vantage Point can help you conquer volatility. Learn to trade with artificial intelligence. Text the word money to 813-813 and discover how to predict stock market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's patented AI can give you a massive edge. Text money to 813-813 to get what you need to stay ahead of market markets, and find your best entries and exits. Text the word money to 813-813.
11: Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. By texting, you agree to the terms available at vantagepointsoftware.com slash terms and consent to receive calls and texts using automated technology about offers or info by or on behalf of vantage point. Your consent is not a condition to purchase and can be revoked at any time. Message and data rates may apply.
10: Text money to 813-813.
0: This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of
12: paranormal radio. Strange creatures
1: of the night. And it's not a werewolf, or is it? And it's not a vampire. But we're talking about the interest that Michael Mays has in weird stuff. Weird creatures, some just in the wrong place, others who knows what they are. So I started the blog because I do have
2: interest. Outside of the, the whole Bigfoot phenomenon, um, and so was well, something interested interesting. One of these sometimes it was an out of place animal. Sometimes it was uh, like you said, you saw the post on the the really giant hogs that from time to time people bring in. Just anything that's unusual, in, you know, in the natural world, I was interested in, and I came across an article uh, where someone up in Plano, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, uh, had reported seeing. A black panther and the location was obviously a little strange you know that's a pretty urban area and then the fact that there's no such thing as a black panther as far as science is concerned that that caught my eye so I just did a post on it and when I did my inbox just blew up it just blew up it's just literally hundreds of people you know, emailed in and, and commented with their own visuals of these animals, these black, big, long-tailed black cats. And, uh, you know, I grew up in East Texas, and we didn't know they weren't supposed to exist. We just thought of them as a, another animal that lived in the, you know, in the bottom land, you know, just not so different than a, a hog or a coyote or anything else. And uh, it wasn't until I was an older man, uh, adult, that realize that there's not supposed to be any such animal mountain lions are not black and they uh, according to science do not carry the genetics necessary to be black even from time to time and the cats of the world that can be melanistic that do have those genetics don't live here and so um and they're also You know, there's no such species as a black panther. You know, leopards can be black. Jaguars can be black. Even bobcats from time to time can be black. But there's no separate species of black panther. And most folks don't realize that. And like I said, my inbox just blew up with these messages. And so whenever I'd come across visual, I'd publish some of them. And every time I did a post on it, more and more people would come in. And it got to the point I had so many reports and had talked to so many people, I thought, you know, I just, I really should do something with this. And so that was the genesis. That was the idea behind the book um, that I wrote. It's called Shadow Cats, the Black Panthers of North America. And it was just about this um, this whole long-tailed black cat phenomenon that, you know, these are animals are not supposed to exist. They're not supposed to be here. And yet they're being seen by the hundreds. Many more witnesses, to the Black Panther phenomenon than there are uh, Sasquatch witnesses, for example. It's probably 25, 50 to one, the ratio. And so uh, that's where that book came from. But like I said, I was always a member of the, the Bigfoot uh, research organization. Uh, it's called the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. And uh, this, the blog, the website was something I kind of did on my own time. And the latest book, Valley of the Apes, is uh, basically it's a summary of the last two decades, my two decades in that organization and what we've done, both what we've done well, what we haven't done well, what we've experienced, seen, heard, and so on. Um, so that's where that book came from. So, uh, the, yeah, the Black Panther thing was kind of an offshoot of just the interest in cryptid animals in general. Fast question before we go on Michael. Do you have a day job? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I am still a school teacher. Uh teach history at a middle school here in town. I coached football uh for 23 years, I believe was the number. And uh I uh, recently had to give that up. I, had a, I, got, I got skin cancer, and they told me I couldn't be out in the, the sun so much anymore. So now I'm strictly in the classroom. But uh, uh, So that's my day job, and I've got a few years left uh, before I can retire from that.
1: Do your students have any awareness or any participation in your pursuits in the strange and unknown?
2: Yes and no. I don't I don't necessarily broadcast it. I'm not embarrassed of it or or whatever. I just I I don't want you have to be careful, especially when you're dealing with with minors. I don't want to ever have anyone be able to say, well, I'm trying to sell books to kids while I've got them kind of under my thumb in a classroom setting. So I don't bring it up. They almost always discover it on their own, they're very tech savvy, and a lot of them have these interests. And uh, I, I did—I'm um, kind of an amateur folklorist on top of this. And I did a um, a series. Of, um, a TV station out of San Antonio contacted me a few years ago. Wanted to know if I knew any great ghost stories and uh, from the San Antonio area, and if I—if so, if I'd write them up. And so I did, and they—they they took what I wrote used to as narration and they did these little animated shorts that they showed on the news at six and 10, the week of Halloween, one October. And, and I always show the kids those, as kind of a reward for good behavior, the week of Halloween. If y'all act right, do right, get your work done. I'll show you one of these. And, and I don't even tell them that I wrote them that I, and, uh, but you know, it's listed there, they, they see it. And so that, that, if they haven't figured anything out, by then that that's that's when the bell goes off for the first time and that and when they can check a book out from the school library and they look on the back and there's my picture you know so uh, sooner or later they find out but i i I don't hide it but i don't promote it with the kids either
1: well the way they're censoring school books they might decide that cryptids are obscene (laughs) Well, it wouldn't. Not much would surprise me. I can tell you what.
6: Not much would surprise
2: me these days.
6: I know we've had uh, we've had guests on before that, uh, you know, talked about how they would be giving a talk, say, like at a local library, and there would be people showing up who were picketing them, you know, because, you know, we were talking about UFOs or ghosts or whatever is, you know, uh, uh, of the devil and things like Mm-mm. that. So, you know, it's just – anymore, you just – you really have to be cautious, especially when you're dealing with uh, school kids. Well, you do, and and
2: again, that's why I don't want to be accused of trying to brainwash them one way or the other. Uh, you know, and like I said, I, I teach history and government, and you talk about a, a, a dicey area uh, mm. when you talk about this party and that party and the history, and oh, oh my gosh, you, you almost have to put a stopwatch on the time you talk about this party and make sure it's even for the time you talk about that party. It's 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 really ridiculous, and uh, um. Someone is going to be offended by anything. I've never, you know, my whole life, I think we're living in a time where we're so ready to be offended. uh, And people's skin is, is so thin. And I think coaching all those years thickened my skin up. Um, and I, I, it, w- it was good training to handle some of the slings and arrows that come. Because, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of trolls out there. They live to get on their keyboard in their mom's basement and <laughs> badmouth anybody that, um, you know, that believes in something or is into interested in something unusual. And, uh, you know, if you're sensitive, it, it can get to you. And um, I, like I said, I think that coaching toughened my my skin up enough where I I can handle it.
1: I'm ask the big question that will carry on to our next segment. Michael, how did you become interested in the strange, the unknown, and the out of place? I just, you
2: know, I just always had an interest. Uh, I, I mentioned briefly earlier about growing up in the 70s, and uh, I watched the In Search of program that Leonard Nimoy uh, hosted. Uh, Peter Graves had a... A show as well. I, I don't recall the name of it off the top of my head. I can see it in my head, but I, I can't recall the name right now.
1: Well, um, of course, that was not about Mission Impossible. No, it wasn't Mission Impossible. It was. I uh, am joking. I am joking. Yeah. Maze <laughs> <a> cryptozoologist. <laughs> we have more to come with Michael and Jean and Tim. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
16: Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000.
11: Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing.
16: Call 800-900-8000.
5: Hi, this is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: We continue with our guest, Michael Mays, studying cryptids, out-of-place animals, that sort of thing. Our guest co-host, Tim Swartz, has a question.
6: I was just going to say, I think that uh, uh, Peter Graves may have also have hosted uh, In Search Of, when either before or after Leonard Dean boy. Okay.
2: Maybe maybe that's it. I, like I said, I do not recall. I remember it being Peter Graves very clearly, but I, I don't recall the show. But in any case, you know, whenever anything like that came on, well, I was all over it. In my elementary school library, uh, there was a section of what we called the monster books, you know, Loch Ness Monster, the Yeti, the Abominable Snowman, Bigfoot, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just checked them out. Over and over again, and and just you know, loved that stuff. And it i have told this story before, but the, my librarian, I think, was worried about me, uh, and it got to the point where she would only let me check a monster book out every other time, and um, because she wanted me to be a well-rounded individual, and so uh, the other kids could have a chance. But the interest has always been there, and um, grew up and you know got busy trying to get educated make a living and all that kind of stuff and for a few years it got put on the back shelf but um in i guess my early 30s kind of i heard a a speaker with this organization that i'm involved with now discussing the the sasquatch phenomenon and uh, just said you know there's no reason now why i can't you know, start to look into that. And of course, the internet had blown up. And, and so you all this information was now available online. And uh, you had to wade through a lot of silliness, obviously, but uh, there, there's some good stuff out there. And it just kind of rekindled that interest. So I, I guess I was just a weird kid that never grew out of it. I guess that's the shorter answer to the question.
1: Looking at your site here, Texas Cryptid Hunter. And mm-hmm. I'm going to read this phrase. This phrase was first introduced to the public in 1941 in the movie The Wolf Man with Lon Chaney Jr. Even a man who is pure of heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the (laughs) autumn moon is right. Right, right. Yeah, and that's a
2: story uh, I mentioned earlier that I'm uh, become kind of an amateur. Folklorist, especially when it comes to Texas folklore, a lot of the um, historical accounts of strange animals and and things uh, they become the basis. Of the, they're the seed of truth in a lot of these folk tales and tall tales that come out later, and and that's the prelude to a, a post I did, uh, I think, just a week or so ago, called "The Lobo Girl of the Devil's River," and it's a it's basically a very Jungle Book like story, if you recall that story, you know Mowgli the was raised by wolves in India and and was the basis for uh, Rudyard Kipl- Kipling's book The Jungle Book. Um, and a similar story is said to have occurred in the eighteen hundreds in West Texas out near the Devil's River. And so, um, you know, was she a werewolf like some people thought? Uh, no, she wasn't. She was a basically a feral human that ran with a pack of wolves. If you believe there's any truth to the story at all, so um, and and I go on in the post there to say that maybe this is the seed of the werewolf legend. You know, incidents like this when they see a, a feral human that's running with wolves and feeding off the same kills and things like that and so that was the nature of that post that's where that came from and again the the seed of that comes straight
1: out of um old texas folklore from the 1800s i wonder if when doing that movie they got the influence there was another werewolf movie in the early universal horror films franchises that was the werewolf of london Mm -hmm. where the villain was actually the same actor or one of the actors who played Charlie Chan. Oh, I didn't realize that. Warner O'Land. Why do I remember this? I thought it was a very very slow-moving movie. I thought the Wolfman did it
12: far better.
6: (laughs) Yeah, the actor uh, Henry Hole refused to uh, have a lot of makeup put on him for for his role as the uh, werewolf so that's why he looks so different than the the later incarnations
1: well i think the makeup with the wolfman was really well done and a lot of care was put into it and you felt incredibly sympathetic towards the lead character because he didn't ask for this he didn't come in there being a bad guy he just got bit by bella lugosi
2: Yep, that's correct. <laughs> and I, you know, in me, you know, like I said, the folklore in me. I, I thought the the best part of the whole movie was the, the the way the gypsy lore was p- portrayed, their belief system, and and uh, there's a parallel between how they acted, how close mouthed they were. With uh, you know the townspeople and 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 how they didn't want to say what was really going on because they knew they'd be laughed at they knew they'd be made fun of oh they're just a bunch of gypsies they're not trustworthy you know that's the way witnesses are today you know somebody sees something uh, let's say they 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 have a a sighting of, of um, a wood ape a a a bigfoot a sasquatch walk across the road in front of them so many of them are so hesitant to say anything because they know the ridicule that that they're going to get. And and I found that there was a real strong parallel there, both the kind of the folklore aspect of it and the hesitancy of that group of people who knew what was going on, but the hesitancy to, to share that because they knew they wouldn't be believed. I think that's Still, something that's uh, that's out there today, and and um, something we hopefully you know you think we could learn something from it, but we don't ever seem to.
6: Well, speaking of of folklore. Now, we know that sasquatch in say like uh, uh, the 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 Northwest and Pacific regions you know the Native Americans have a very rich history of these creatures. What about uh you know down in your neck of the woods, Texas and oklahoma i mean is is there any uh folklore about uh, the wood apes
2: yeah, there is no it, and it's one of my one of the things I, I love is to to dig out old historical uh, accounts. Now, what you have to, to look for the the term Bigfoot, for example, that wasn't coined until uh, you know the the, the 1950s. Um, so what you see in a lot of these historical newspaper accounts, you see terms like wild man, hairy man, uh, uh, and, and things of that nature. Uh, you'll, you'll see the term gorilla, you know, Farmer Brown saw a gorilla in his hayloft, you know, it jumped down and ran away on two legs and it was seven feet tall and, you know, and so you, there are these other terms that you have to look for. Uh, Chad Arment wrote a uh, book called the the historical bigfoot and it all it is is just um he's done the, this amazing research where all it is is just newspaper clipping after newspaper clipping that you know mainly from the 1800s and the very, or very early 1900s before bigfoot that term was even a thing it, it was not even in the lexicon of 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 you know the average person's uh vocabulary that that you know nobody knew what that was and um we have a lot of that down you know, in, in Deep East Texas, uh, where I'm from, the southeastern region of Oklahoma, which a lot of people, when you hear Texas, Oklahoma, they scoff automatically because the only Texas and Oklahoma they're familiar with is is what they see in old John Wayne movies and other western movies, I mean, dry, dusty desert, right? And. Um, It's actually, you know, the eastern part of Texas and uh, the southeastern and, and eastern border of Oklahoma that they share with western Arkansas is heavily mountainous, heavily wooded. Um, matter of fact, when you take this spot where the four state region of Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas and Louisiana, where they kind of come together, there's more forest land there than it's. It's bigger than the entire state of Washington, which is kind of the holy epicenter of all things Bigfoot, right? There's actually more forest land um, in that four state area than the whole state of Washington. Uh, so there's a lot of heavily wooded, mountainous, and then, then in the bottomland, you get a lot of swamps and marshes and just great habitat. Um, and the forest. Is different. Uh, a lot of our forests, at least originally, were hardwood forest and uh, very rich environments. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, Dr. John Bendernagel and, and his work with, with the
1: Bigfoot research. I'm not stuff. necessarily but, myself, but I suspect Tim Swartz is familiar with everybody on the planet. He tells <laughs> me that. more with Gene and Michael and Tim, you're in.
9: The Pericast. <laughs>
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Hey, listeners! I want you to have the entire Paracast experience, so I'd like to tell you about after the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. Once again, Paracast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out Paracast.plus to learn more
15: about Paracast Plus. Do you experience fatigue when you know you should have energy? One reason fatigue can occur is due to a lack of antioxidants in the body. This deficiency happens the older we get, or due to eating an unhealthy diet, or even due to exercise. Your body's number one antioxidant is glutathione. When your cells are depleted of glutathione, you will be fatigued, inflamed, possibly depressed, and may also feel pain. Empirical results indicate that consuming green metal whey protein powder is the most effective means of increasing glutathione production. Green metal whey supplies nature's richest source of the pre- cursor to making glutathione within the trillions of cells of your body. This protein strongly supports the cells ability to make glutathione. Add to this the Green Meadow Way also supports immunity, energy, lean muscle development, fat loss, and has anti-cancer properties and you have nature's most complete and strongest superfood. To order go to bestwayprotein.net, that's bestwayprotein.net or call 888-988-3325, that's 888-988-3325.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now,
1: here's Jane Steinberg. Before continuing with Michael Mays, I did look it up. Where did that poem about the werewolf originate? And it had nothing to do with legends. The screenwriter for The mm-hmm. Man wrote it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I believe that is true, but it is, it is, it's just cool. So I used it. So um, I, I believe you're right. I think it's strictly a creation for the original Universal movie. And what was that? 19 was that in the 1930s and, uh, 1941.
1: Also, 41. what I'm learning yep. here is the makeup that Henry Hall rejected because you couldn't recognize his face. That was recycled to some degree, when they did the makeup for Lon Chaney Jr.
2: There you go. I believe um, the transition scenes where, where he transformed into the Wolfman, too, that was really some state-of-the-art stuff for, for back in the day, uh, the way they did that and uh, and showed him actually
1: turning into the Wolfman. That was some serious special effects for for the time. That's the thing, too, here, that very smartly done movie. It's gotten really good rewards. Rotten Tomatoes score of 90%. And it is considered one of the greatest horror films of all time. It's too bad about Chaney Jr. I don't think his career soared as much as it should have. Later in his life, he became an alcoholic. He never achieved the level, the status of
2: the other horror icons of the day, like Lugosi and Karloff, uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, he, he played... Frankenstein's monster in some of the sequels that came later after Karloff, I guess, got tired of the role. And uh, I think he played Dracula's son in another movie. Uh, So it was always kind of the the sequel, the secondary, uh, kind of the the tier two movies where he achieved a level of fame. Um, It was probably pretty hard to live up to his dad's standard as well. But uh, yeah, The Wolfman was definitely the apex. of of his career in my opinion
1: well i'll tell you one thing here with lon cheney jr born creighton toll cheney okay and that is that when it came to playing a sympathetic character as opposed to a strictly villainous one he was really good i mean when you watch these wolfman movies you felt sorry for the poor guy he didn't ask to be a monster he just wanted to get on with his life Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had a gift for that.
2: And that way it was uh, immaculately casted, at least his role. Uh, and and certainly it holds up well and, and better than the, the remake uh, that came out a few years ago when they tried to reboot it. Um,
1: <laughs> just didn't think that went well at all. It was not good. In long and short, he wasn't bitten by some kind of old gypsy. He was bitten by his own father. In that version of yeah. Wolfman, I thought yeah. it was just dreadful. They kind of sort of loosely captured the original, but other than Anthony Hopkins, I don't think the acting was near as good. You know,
2: and, and, you know, an actor, of course, is a slave to the writer, and I just thought the script was pretty ridiculous and um, just not good at all. I, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame because it was such a great original, and, and I think that. To reboot it, I think I think that was that was not a bad idea, uh, you know, to update the makeup and the special effects. And but you know, it's kind of like uh, the comic superhero movies these days. You know, you have the Marvel Studios, which has had this tremendous success, and you have the Sony version su- studios that own some of the other rights. And their movies in general have just been a complete abomination, you know, and. Sony never has seemed to get that the reason these characters are popular is because of the way they were written, the storylines they had in the Marvel movies, at least until recently, have pretty much stuck with the origin stories and the, and the character traits that made these characters iconic. Sony tried to do all kinds of stuff with them and change things up, and it just hasn't worked at all, and and I think that's the same mistake – that they made when they re- tried to reboot that Wolfman movie is, is, is you know, there was nothing wrong with the story. You know, I understand you need to modernize a little bit here or there, but, uh, you know, the basic story shouldn't have been tinkered with. And uh, they got lost when they tried to
1: do it. You know, they could have taken the original script, modernized it for the 2000s, followed the story literally. That's part of the problem of a reboot. They want to insert their own... Their own shtick. They want to put their own stuff in there, and they forget what made the movie so good. And they ignore all that. And as I said, they take the original script, update the script, flesh out some of the scenes that maybe weren't as well-developed in the original, and present Mm -hmm. a movie I think people would like it. The the versions they did of The Mummy were worse. Now, of course, The Mummy was totally evil, but The Mummy also spoke... In English, in the Boris Karloff version. I'm not talking about the later ones where the guy is limping with one <laughs> hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that one, I'm not really not nuts about. I'm thinking that's the one that Tom Tyler played the mummy, by the way. He was the guy who also played Captain Marvel in the movies, which is now Shazam. But forget about that. In any case, here, I think the original mummy with Boris Karloff was really well done. Karloff conveys the total menace of the character. The makeup was really good. I think the big problem with it is they had a fixed amount of time to do the movie, like 70 or 75 minutes. Today, a movie is closer to two hours. They would have had to flesh out the characters. Instead, they've tried to remake it twice. The first kind spawned a couple of sequels. The second one with Tom Cruise, they tried to make the mummy a woman. They totally forgot. What the story was
12: about.
2: Yeah. And and the other part of that was uh, my understanding was they were trying to reboot the whole universal monster universe. To me, that movie, not only for the reasons you just laid out, but that basically the movie was trying to just set up um, sequels. You know, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, they showed, I think, a vampire skull with fangs, you know, so the Dracula thing was going to be on the table. And then, of course, and then there was a big part of it. You couldn't decide, is it a mummy movie? Is it a zombie movie? You know, what is it? It was just uh, it was just a mess. Yeah, just a total mess.
17: Let's get
1: rid of the messes. That's, by the way, they do that with other TV show series. Magnum P.I. came back. And sure, instead of yeah. the his assistant Higgins being an older guy, It is a young, pretty, former British spy. And they have a relationship before Mm -hmm. the series closes out. It has been renewed for NBC with 10-episode seasons coming up. But there's the point. Hawaii Five-0. I thought that wasn't bad. I wasn't nuts about the original version, but they brought it back. They brought back MacGyver. But the lead actor did not begin to compare with Richard Dean Anderson. And that killed the series. I think it did last four or five years. But the lead actor didn't cut it. Now, maybe he's a good actor. I don't know. I can only tell from that show, but I couldn't handle it. We can handle, by the way, all the strange mysteries of the world that Michael Mays has explored. And the only reason we've kind of turned into pop culture is because so much of what we look into in terms of Bigfoot and other creatures is oriented towards pop culture, like Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, the the, the lens through which the
2: just your average person looks at this is, is through the pop culture lens, you know, Bigfoot's ridiculous. It's a salesman. It's, he sells beef jerky. It's Harry and the Hendersons. Like you said, it's bad, you know, sci-fi network movies with Danny Bonaducci and, and Greg Brady. And, and, you know, uh, it's just really has received a, um, um, uh, uh, it's it's just kind of ruined the whole topic in a lot of ways. And then, you know, to be honest, a lot of the people, a lot of the stuff you go out online uh, claiming to be researchers, uh, you will see some absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous stuff out there. And that taints people's views of it, and it makes it very difficult for people to take the topic seriously. Um, and it, it handicaps those of us that are trying to do real scientific work but but you're right the whole uh the lens of pop culture really does affect things and to pretend otherwise uh, you know you're putting your head in the sand
1: we're going to not put our heads in the sand we're going to stay awake and listen to this with gene and michael and tim you're in the power cast hey listeners To learn more about
18: Paracast Plus. Are you prepared for more severe food shortages? It's likely that over the next year, serious food shortages will plague us. American farmers are dealing with insane diesel fuel prices and fertilizer shortages, which will lower crop yields. And that means your family's favorite foods will soon be in short supply, while fetching sky-high prices. Inflation is the new normal, folks. It's time to act before things get even worse. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com without delay. You'll find ready-hour emergency food kits from my. My Patriot Supply that lasts up to 25 years in storage. Each kit provides over 2000 calories a day to keep your energy up. Order your emergency food kits today by going to mypatriotsupply.com. Your food ships fast and arrives in unmarked boxes. Listen, there are ways to beat food shortages. When you're ready for real preparedness, make sure to look for Ready Hour foods from My Patriot Supply. Go to mypatriotsupply.com right now.
14: mypatriotsupply.com
17: Americans have the most colorful language in the world. And that vibrant language is our basis for thinking in big ways, new ways, efficient ways, and better ways. Americans have freedom of speech. The pairing of our colorful language and freedom of speech has made us the people and the nation that we are today. Imagine what it would be like not having the freedom to speak our minds, communicate our thoughts and ideas, and hear those from others. Americans have a passion for and yearn for the truth. There are those who want to destroy our freedom and right to hear the truth. The truth is under attack. GCN is under attack. I'm asking our fellow broadcasters and you to rise up and help us defend our right to free speech. Would you like to join us? Please consider visiting SaveGCN.com. Please help us bring you the truth 24 hours per day. I'm Vincent Finelli.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Well, part of it is, remember, Hollywood is a money-making machine. And anything else, any other consideration goes by the wayside it's making that profit it's having that billion dollar blockbuster it's like we've got to get the box office money what do we do how do we make it work it's a commercial product it's not something that is someone's artistic vision and sometimes they go off in pretty screwy directions i'm not nuts about the kelvin universe for star trek we're in the first movie to show you how much money they spent there are these endless scenes running around the enterprise look how big that is and some silly comedy scenes but you know i thought fundamentally it wasn't a bad film but things like that kind of got me upset but i'm not going to criticize jj abrams for lost or alias another series that he screwed up when they finally ended let's get back to the crazy mysteries here so the problem is that we have pop culture we have the motion picture industry, the entertainment industry, making a mess of things. They do this with UFO reality shows. UFO reality right. shows, ghost shows have so little to do with a real phenomenon. It's incredible. It's Let's get this 42 minutes in there, get our advertising, get some ratings, and get on to the next product. If I'm starting up and I want to follow cryptids, for example, I want to know about the real Bigfoot the real strange creatures of the night where do i go mm-hmm. your site oh uh, that'd be a good place to start i and and i would
2: also recommend uh the north american wood ape conservancy's site uh, it's woodape.org. that's what we typically call them instead of bigfoot uh, because of that pop culture tie bigfoot's a cartoon it's ridiculous so we took to calling the animals wood apes because we believe they're Apes that live in the woods, and so that, and that's actually a term that goes back to the turn of the century. That's another a term. If you if you read some of these historical accounts, that you'll see is is the term uh, wood ape or bush ape. So we kind of uh, tried to reinvigorate that term. So it's woodape.org. There's a lot of good stuff out there uh, regarding our research, what we've done, what we've seen, what we've heard. We just fired up a page of audio clips that we've collected over the years of stuff that um we cannot attribute that to any known animal in in the region we've got screams and roars and and howls and whoops and the sound of rocks bouncing off of structures you can hear when when these things throw things at us and uh whistles and and just all kinds of stuff that's the real deal when I did the Valley of the Apes book, which came out about a month ago now, wanted to summarize like so the two decades that i 've been involved in the organization and everything we 've done because uh, I just think not enough people are know that there's some people out there trying to do the real citizen science and uh, At the back of the book, I had a sounds appendix I called it, and I linked to a few of our sound files that we had, and uh, that was very popular. That's been very popular, and and so the organization we've taken that and expanded it so we have just several dozen of these sound files now available so you can hear what are we hearing out there what are we experiencing out there you can read a paper called tag seven again it's summarized in the book but you can read the actual uh scientific paper that was written we believe we managed to put a nano tracker on one of these animals and we're able to track it over months all across the Washita mountains. And so you can read about that research. Uh, that idea was actually, um, uh, shanghai and used in one of the Bigfoot TV shows that's out there, which is great. Uh, I, I, I think it's a repeatable thing and I'm glad someone else is trying to do it, but it would have been nice, uh, for them not to have portrayed it as their own idea originally. Uh, but you can read about that, and, and a lot of other stuff. We have a, a monograph called the Washita Project monograph, and and it, it's uh, just full of information, and it's it's the real deal. It's the real people out there trying to get to the bottom and prove the existence of a real animal, not a monster, not a shape-shifting. Skin walking demon, or whatever we believe it's a flesh and blood animal, just like a black bear is. It's just incredibly elusive, furtive, intelligent, and wants nothing to do with us. And so it makes it very difficult, uh, and especially in a hostile, uh, rugged environment like, like we're working in. But you can read about a real organization trying to do the real work to to prove that this animal is is flesh and blood, is real, and, and how that's going, and, and how we're going about it, and the things we've done. And again, all that is kind of summarized in the in the Valley of the Apes book that I wrote, and you can get a crash course over the last 20 years by reading a 300-page a book, you know, but you can go out on that site, listen to those audios. I, I think you'll, I think, you know, anybody that's into this at all, We'll find it extremely compelling
6: I'm interested in the uh, uh, the nano tracker. Do you want to give us some uh, details about that? Sure. We have a, a member up in maine he's a wildlife biologist, and
2: uh, he came up with this idea. You know, if you're like me, you grew up in the age of mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom, and you saw them go out and put the radio collars on various animals. they tranquilize them, put the collar on them, and they could track them, right, with these antennas, as beep, 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 and, and they followed them all over the place. Well, the idea of trying to tranquilize one of these animals is just not feasible, and there's a lot of reasons for that uh, that we could go into, and that's usually a question I, I get, but uh, it's just not feasible. So we had to think of a way to get one of these nano tags they're they're small uh they were actually created the the version we have they come in all sizes but the small one we got was actually meant for amphibians and reptiles like uh, i think the, the one version we got was uh actually used mostly for terrapins and turtles so it's small and we had been using something we called string traps for a long time our former our chairman emeritus his name's alton higgins also a wildlife biologist brilliant guy And I think he adopted this. I think this was a Native American tactic. And and he would take this black industrial strength thread and he would tie it to one tree. And then he would stretch it across a a travel route, a game trail, or, or a place where we suspected these animals were walking. And then he would wrap it around another tree. Now, he wouldn't tie that end. He would wrap it. And it would always be about seven feet high, seven and a half feet high. And if you walk through that, it's just, if you ever walk through the, uh, the, you know, the woods, especially in the summertime, there's spider webs across every trail. You know, you just get them in your mouth, your hair, they're all over you. If you see it at all, it just looks like another, you know, spider web. And and what we figured out is is a way we took a cockle burr, which is kind of a round, spiky, almost looks like a little tiny sea urchin, and... uh, Cut it in half, hollowed it out, and we were able to stick this nano tracker inside something that 's organic that belongs in the area uh, that wouldn 't set off alarm bells as being something foreign uh, to to any of the wildlife and we suspended it on one of these string traps, and uh, we tied an extra string the way these things are activated they have a magnet
1: on the back let 's do our break here we 've got Michael, Gene, and Tim, you're in. Yeah, the Paracast.
7: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
14: LSA Radio News
9: with Kenneth Burns. President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19 again. His positive test result happened three days after he tested negative for the virus on Tuesday and Wednesday. The White House says it is a rare rebound case following treatment with an antiviral drug. White House physician Kevin O'Connor said in a letter that the president has experienced no reemergence of symptoms and continues to feel quite well. Biden will re-enter isolation for at least five days. Some residents have returned to their homes in eastern Kentucky to begin the cleanup after floods devastated the region. Rachel Patton tells Sky News what it was like to escape danger.
7: We had to swim out, and it was cold. it was over my head. So yeah,
9: at least 25 people, including four children, have died. Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear says the number of fatalities would likely go up. This is USA Radio News. More than 50 Ukrainian prisoners of war were killed and another 75 were wounded in an attack in a separatist-controlled area of eastern Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia are blaming each other for the deaths of the POWs. According to Ukrainian officials, the Kremlin launched nighttime attacks. The International Red Cross is asking to visit the prison to ensure that the wounded had proper treatment. Free speech systems, the company owned by conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, filed for bankruptcy on Friday. Details about the actual bankruptcy were not immediately available, but his attorney says it will not disrupt his trial in Austin, Texas, which just wrapped up his first week of testimony. The family of one of the children killed in the Sandy Hook school shooting back in 2012. They want the court to force Jones to pay them $150 million for defamation. Wall Street closed off Friday and July with its best month since November 2020. You are listening to USA Radio News. You don't sit behind a
16: desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. let them do what they do best deal and negotiate with the irs so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows we are a 100 percent u.s based company and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes if you owe ten thousand dollars or more in back taxes call my friends right now at the tax doctor
17: and learn more 800-507-3137 800-507-3137 That's 800-507-3137.
9: Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Looking at the creatures of the night and the day with Michael and Tim. Let's go on.
6: Before our break there, Michael, you're talking about how um, you uh, hollowed out a cuckaburr and right. uh, inserted this thing into it. Yeah, so, uh, and, and what we did is we, we put
2: it on one of these string traps. Uh, we tied one additional thread uh, the way they're activated is they have a magnet on the back, and it's very small. We put a loop on the magnet and tied that to a tree. And so when something walked and hit the the, the string trap, our hope was this, this spiny cockle burr. And if you've ever walked through the woods or a field and gotten stickers all over you, you know how, what a pain these kinds of things can be. And to accentuate those properties, we slathered it in uh, rat trap glue as well. And so when something walks through it, it... Theoretically, what it was going to do is it was going to take the trap, the the uh, tracker, the nano tag. It was going to adhere to the shaggy hair and just hopelessly entangle itself in there. And as the animal continued to walk, the magnet uh, that was tied to the tree, a a string was tied to the tree, it would it would separate and then that's when the tag would start to transmit and that's when we could uh, follow it with the antenna and the receiver and keep track of this creature's movements so we had about a dozen of these out this was 2015 and uh, the seventh one in in the paper it's it's called the tag seven paper and there's a whole chapter in the book called tag seven it was activated and we tracked this Carrier of tag seven, whatever it was, and again, this thing was strung up seven, seven and a half feet high. So, your coyote or your bobcat or your white tailed deer, it was not going to get stuck on any of those things. We tracked it for months. The battery life of these uh, tags is 10 to 12 months, and uh, it took us a while to find it. We went several months where we could not locate it, so we thought maybe the tag had been destroyed. Didn't know. And um, so finally what we did is we got several pilots in the group, and we rigged up uh, a plane with the antenna and receiver, and we got it airborne, and we were able to relocate the tag uh, by getting the plane up in the air. And it was a couple of valleys over, and at that point we had ground teams. We chased this thing all over the Ouachita's uh, over many months, and uh, we got very close to it a time or two. I'm guessing probably within a hundred yards of it, but every time we'd get close, it would just go somewhere we couldn't go and it would get away. And, but we established every time we got hit, we, we marked it on GPS. And so we had a, um, this database of, of, points that we had, and we, we reached the minimum recommended number of, of data points where we could use various formula formulas to calculate a home range for an animal. And we used three different uh, formulas for that that are accepted by uh, biologists, and uh, uh, the, the middle one uh, was a, a home range of about 40 to 45 square miles, which is much larger than any animal uh, that's supposed to be living in the Ouachita's. Uh, most people say, well, you tagged a black bear. That's what it was. Black bears don't have ranges at large. And on top of that, we were tracking it during the winter months when bears are in hibernation. They're in torpor. They're, they're denned up. They're not roaming. They don't sleep straight through nonstop. They'll get out and, you know, roam around a little bit, but they don't go 25 miles from their den you know, they stay in their immediate vicinity because they're going to go bed back down until March. So it was the wrong time of year for a bear to be on the move. It moved way too fast, way too far. Uh, The range was just too big to have been a black bear, in our opinion. And so this paper is all about that, how we managed to get this animal to tag itself, basically, and how we tracked it and how we calculated the home range. And uh, we feel like it's a very compelling evidence that lends it. It's not absolute proof, but we feel like it really lends itself to, at least anecdotally, you know, it, it, we add this evidence to the pile of footprint cast and audio recordings and all this other stuff that we have. And, you know, that evidence pile is starting to to stack up. And and we had hoped to get that um, in a journal, but we can't even get anyone to to read the paper because Bigfoot doesn't exist. Therefore, your paper's invalid. Well, why do you say Bigfoot doesn't exist? There's no evidence. Well, we think we have evidence in this paper. Well, your evidence isn't valid because Bigfoot doesn't exist. So it's this whole circular argument so it's on the website so anybody can go read it and again there's a chapter on tag seven in the Valley of the Apes book uh, where I kind of break it down uh, and uh, that's how we did it and and you know we're gonna try to repeat that.
6: Have you come across any evidence and you know this has been suggested by uh, other researchers that at least uh, uh, some groups of the wood apes are uh, migratory that uh, you know they they summer in one location and winter in others I guess it would depend a lot
2: on what your definition of of, of migration would be uh, how far do they have to move for you to consider it Migration. Uh, you know, when you think of birds, they spend their summers in Canada and their winters in Costa Rica. That's quite a migration. You know, that that's a long way. I, we've not. We believe the group that we're encountering in our particular little valley in the Washita Mountains that they are residents there year round. I think we do have some. Uh, anecdotal evidence that suggests in the winter months when the hardwoods drop their leaves and visibility in the forest gets much better they move to areas that are uh, mainly have uh, coniferous trees like pines uh, that are evergreen year-round i feel like that maybe they that gives them more cover or something like that um maybe they're using the pine straw to to bed down maybe it's warmer in the winter we don't know what but but they're staying in the general vicinity i can't speak to it for the species as a whole i don't know what the um the wood apes in uh, the Pacific Northwest do. Uh, I've heard theories that say, you know, they migrate from the Rockies and they follow the rivers into Texas and New Mexico. And and maybe they do. Uh, I don't know. But um, the animals we're encountering in the Washita's there, they seem to be there all the time. Now, certainly we have trips where we go in and nothing happens, but over these 15, 16 years, we have experiences at all months of the year it's 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 not like okay they're only here from you know april to august and then after that they're out of here you know and, and nothing ever happens outside those months it's not like that at all so um i think they do move within a range uh, maybe elevation changes in in the mountain range there our particular little troop they seem to be residents though. Uh, and i guess any animal will move if the resources that it needs to survive go away at a certain time of year you know we're down here in the south where the winters typically are are pretty mild and so i don't think the need to move is is there as much as it might be for an animal farther north
6: It it, it, it makes me wonder you know sometimes along those lines that i mean you see some animals where you'll have young males once they reach sexual maturity leave to go and you know find a family of their mm-hmm. own so you know it, it makes me wonder if that's also the case you know with uh, these sorts of animals well that that that
2: certainly would fit neatly into the um you know the great ape behavior parallel you know um that is you know a gorilla, for example, you know big silverback gorilla has a harem right he's got all these females and and when, when they give birth, um, these young males are tolerated to a point and then they're run off right because yeah. you know they don't want the competition
1: Let's wait for this kind of competition coming up with gene competition, and Tim and Michael you're in the paracast. <laughs>
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code
16: Call Advantage Gold at
11: 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Call
16: 800-900-8000.
11: Have you heard the
19: warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, Arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues—the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally, and it's all in his free lecture called "Deadly Recipe." You want it free? Call him toll free at eight five five seven nine young you ready eight five five seven nine young dr Joel Wallach the dead doctors don't lie guy says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least a hundred and have a great time getting there
16: My name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the
1: Paracast. We continue exploring the strange and unknown and the weird creatures. Let's go on, guys.
6: We're talking about uh, uh, young males being uh, forced out to uh, take it up on their own. Something like that is certainly possible. One thing I think we have learned
2: is is. At least in our study area, they're not solitary animals like I think most people believed for for a very long time. And I think that belief came from strictly the fact that typically a witness, when they had a visual, it was of one animal. That was by far the majority of, of sightings. What we've discovered is that where there's one, there's almost always another one. Uh, maybe not. We've seen them walk in pairs. We've had members report that. Um, But, uh, you know, the wood knocking sounds and things like that, you'll hear one over here, 100 yards to your left. It'll knock on a tree. And then from 100 yards to your right, you'll hear something answer it by knocking on a tree. So they're in close proximity all the time. Now, whether they're just foraging and they're each kind of doing their own thing, I don't know, but they're keeping tabs on one another. And so they they do appear to be social family oriented to a degree uh in the sense that uh where there's one there's very likely another uh now the the young male that reaches maturity and is forced out by the the alpha that scenario in my mind is very plausible. I think it absolutely could happen, and I think it would provide a uh a pretty nice You know, put a bow on some of these sightings of individual animals in places where typically you don't get these kinds of reports. You know, um, it follows a waterway somewhere. We we've got a a lot of regional names for monsters. There were flaps of monster sightings, Bigfoot sightings. You know, the Chambers Creek monsters, the Fort Worth, you know, uh, Goatman monster flap. uh, You know, up in Missouri, the Momo sightings from years ago, uh, where there was this you know, five, six, maybe ten visuals, encounters, whatever, and then all of a sudden they're gone and it never happened again. You know, something uh, like a young male coming through looking for his own territory, I think, could explain that pretty neatly.
6: Well, and that also suggests, though, that there's enough of these creatures in North America that going out to uh, find a place of their own is, uh, is is successful yeah and you
2: know how how far is that you know what we don't know you know we're we're working primarily in one valley in one mountain range these animals seem to be residents of that valley now it's a big valley you know but they seem to be residents there now i believe that there're probably more of these creatures spread out across the mountain range not only in the Washitas but a little farther north to the Ozarks for example you know two valleys over is that a whole separate group you know and you know maybe this one gets kicked out over there and so he establishes himself maybe maybe he comes and visits the neighboring troop to which he's not actually related or whatever you know uh how far do they have to go I don't know, but I I agree with you. I think if, you know, I've seen estimates on the population and, and let's face it, nobody knows for sure, but I think if there were really only 100 or 200 of these animals coast to coast, I don't think anyone would ever see them. I think there has to be more than that because I think the bulk of sightings occur when the animal makes a mistake. You know, it gets caught with its pants down, so to speak, crossing a road or it's it's occupied doing one thing and fails to notice someone driving up or or, you know, it's focused on hunting, fails to notice the guy in the tree stand or whatever it may be. Um, uh I think if, if it was really only a few hundred, I, I don't think they'd ever be seen. I, I think it would be so rare that you could just dismiss it totally because it just never happens. But that's not the case. So I think there, you know, I, I hesitate to put a number to it, but certainly there's enough out there for a breeding population. Certainly there doesn't seem to be any genetic issues within breeding that, are reported most of the time. You know, sometimes you get reports of three-toed tracks and things like that. I think the bulk of those have been cases of mistaken identity as far as people, what they're reading into the tracks. But there seems to be a viable breeding population, and uh, there are enough of them where they are seen actually fairly often if you think about it, there've been thousands through the years and and it's happening fairly often and uh, in some ways i think it's increasing a little bit because of deforestation because of habitat destruction because these animals are forced like just like a bear or a wolf or a coyote or anything else you know when they come and clear cut your home you got to move you got to go and it's during these periods of transition where I think sometimes they're seen. So in that way, because of, uh, I'm doing my air quotes here, because of progress, uh, it's going to lead to more sightings, possibly, for a while. And then if things continue unabated, it won't be long before they're just gone altogether.
6: You bring up a good point, though, when you talk about how often they're seen or, or not seen. And it seems pretty evident that these things are rather, you know, very cagey and are masters of staying hidden. If we're dealing with an animal that is as large as some of these reports are, I mean, you know, you're talking Mm -hmm. about seven foot Eight foot, nine foot creatures, and and on top of that, they're you know they're they're huge, they're broad. I mean, they report mm-hmm. that the the shoulders on these things are huge. That you know, if if it just happened to run into one, I mean, you'd notice it immediately. Yet. A lot of times people don't see them, like you said, unless it's by accident or if they just happen to accidentally stumble into one, yeah, you know, in the woods. I,
2: I think a couple of things are going on. Number one, people are oblivious. They're looking at their phones. <laughs> they're, not paying, they're not familiar with the sights, sounds, and smells of the woods anymore. Most people, you know, you're not going to see one in Times Square. And, you know, they're just the vast majority of the population has no interest in going out in the woods. Uh, Even hunters rarely go more than 100, 200 yards from a road or a trail because if if they're lucky enough to take a deer or a hog or whatever, they got to haul it out of there. They don't want to be five miles in the back country and have to quarter this thing and carry it on their back all that way. So most hunting stands and, and blinds and things are not too deep into the woods either. But uh, I'll give you an example. When I was doing the Shadow Cats book, uh, and I think there's a really good correlation here. You know, a leopard's a good-sized cat. I think we could all agree it's a pretty, pretty considered a big cat. And it was in India. Uh, they they discovered that uh, they had a leopard, a female leopard that was living in close proximity to people in a village, and uh, they took it, they put a radio collar on her, they relocated her, I don't know, 75 miles away in the jungle, and sure enough, a few months later, she's back, Hmm. and she lived within 50 yards of a human home, a residence, little kids, people coming in and out, running around all over the place. She didn't bother the goats, the livestock of the humans. She didn't behave in any way to, that was menacing to the people. They did not know she was there. And she was living 50 to 75 yards away from them for years. And, you know, this is a big cat. This is a leopard. You know, you think, well, I see a 120-pound cat. You know, I would know it. it you, you, you couldn't miss it. Well, apparently you can. And um, I think there's some of the same... I think there's some parallels there. Uh, when you're walking down through the woods, you know, um, especially if it's thickly wooded, uh, you know, all something really has to do with that organic color, a brown or a black or that reddish tinted brown. You know, these are all colors that you, know, you see the sunlight filtering through the trees. And and, and and these are the natural colors that are out there creates these sun dappled these model looking you know effects as you look in the distance all something has to do is be still or lay down that's all it has to do and unless you're within 10 yards of it on that brown things you know 50 yards and it just looks like a stump you would it would never even unless it moves it's not going to uh alert you in any way to its presence and uh you know a lot of animals they survive because of camouflage and the ability to be still when there's a
1: predator or a threat in the area with michael jean and tim you're in the Barracast.
7: thank you for listening to gcn
12: That's 818-984-6100. com.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now,
1: here's Jane Steinberg. Of course, I wonder when people see Weird creatures, are they accurately describing what they're seeing? There's so much pop culture. How can you get an accurate picture, a true picture of what the phenomenon is?
2: Uh, That's a great question. What you're looking for, you're talking to a witness, is some little tidbit that maybe I know. But the typical person, even if they're familiar with Bigfoot, the phenomenon or the creature that's supposed to be out there, they wouldn't necessarily be familiar with. in the past, one of the things that people in the know, so to speak, that they would use to try to separate what they think is a legitimate report from um, a hoax or a case of mistaken identity, take a trackway, for example, uh, it's pretty... Generally accepted that when these things walk, uh, it's not not absolute. But the the prints that are left behind are almost like it's almost like they're walking a tightrope, right in front of each other. You know, whereas a human walking, they're more side by side. You know, there's a gap between the the prints as they go forward. Where these, you know, you see a left foot and then x number of feet in front of it you'll see the right foot comes down but you could draw it's almost like it's walking on a tightrope and that was a little insider information that a lot of the old timers would use when they're trying to discern is this a legitimate trackway, or is this something that somebody with some rubber feet or wooden feet stamped out you know uh, put fake prosthetics of some kind on their feet and ran around so you look for certain little tidbits like that for them to say something that we've observed or they heard something that we observed and that we've heard that is not general knowledge now you don't always get that so sometimes you know you just um, you're you're almost like a detective trying to just look for signs of deception does the person do they agree to meet you that's the first thing do they take your phone call? Will they meet you in person? Will they take you to the site? If the answer is no, then, then you almost have to just file that one away as well, that's probably not legitimate. Now sometimes people maybe just uh, I don't want to get involved. And maybe what they saw was legit. But if they're willing to take you to a spot, I mean they're they're really doubling and tripling down when they do that, and that's a pretty good sign. And then sometimes just some of the things they that you know the appearance or the smell or what they heard that will ring true to us and there's some other things sometimes that uh you're like no nah, that's that's a little shady and so that's the kind of thing you look for and it certainly there's a there's a bit of an art to it and uh i don't have any doubt that there's been some people who may have fooled some researchers in the past by doing a little homework and telling a believable story. And I have no doubt that there's some legitimate reports that probably were dismissed because they didn't hit one of those little tidbits, you know. But most of the time, most of the time, there's something there, just the behavior of the person in their description, in the behavior they observed, there's something in it that will ring that bell and let you know one way or the other whether this person is telling you the truth or not
6: within you know uh, your group the north american wood ape conservancy has there been any really good uh, uh, uh sightings uh, with uh, uh, with people in this group i mean something where people were like oh my god look at that oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. a lot of
2: people joined the group because they had some kind of experience like that that's what kind of you know, rattled their cage and got them interested in the phenomenon to start with. You know, they had an experience. But just during the course of the, our, our work there in uh, Area X and some other places, we have had uh, members have visuals. And the question you get is, well, okay, where are all the pictures then? Where's the video? And it's a, mm. it's a legitimate question. Um, the problem is, they're very fleeting. I mean, you're talking a second. Or two, and it's gone, you know it's it's a flash. I think people have a um, exaggerated sense of what kind of visual we should be having based on the Patterson Gimlin footage mm-hmm. where they see this you know, giant ape just strolling across the, the sandbar, you know, and it's it's in sight for, I don't know how long the, the clip actually is, but it's, it's like a minute or more. Where we're operating, the terrain just isn't like that. And it, it is just a flash and it's gone. And the other part of that is for, for many years, we weren't trying to get photographic evidence or video. We were in the collection business we were trying to procure a specimen because ultimately i think that's what it's going to take to prove to science that this is actually a real animal i think more than ever today more than in 1967 you know people are just going to yell photoshop or cgi or something because of the uh the ease you know just common guy can go down to circuit well i'm showing my age as i said circuit city but you can go down to staples or office max or and and they sell photo editing software with all kinds of effects you can put in there and somebody that really knows what they're doing um they can do amazing things Uh, and so today yeah, there's a lot of technology and and everyone's got a phone with a camera and all this stuff. But I think more than ever, people... I mean, look at all the stuff on YouTube. How many of those videos do we really think might be legitimate?
1: Probably not very many. That's the biggest problem of all. And as you say, you can get cheap software. You can get cheap software online. Users of the Apple, iOS, and Mac OS platforms can get lots of software very inexpensive you get final cut pro 10 and you get motion and compressor and you can do all sorts of things you can get some of the fanciest cgi apps because a lot of those are done on Macs. so that's not something that requires a great amount of expense it requires imagination and even if you get free software someone's imagination tells it all but The problem, of course, with this entire business, and this goes even to UFOs, and I can ask you a bit later if you have any interest in those, the problem with this is that we're not acquiring the evidence to prove here's a strange creature, we can't figure out what it is, here's the scat, here's the DNA, here is something that we can prove it with. It's always a step or two away from that. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I think there's some misunderstanding
2: about how dna evidence works we have some blood evidence we have some uh material that should have dna on it that we've had tested and you've probably heard this from other groups and sources as well it always comes back as contaminated or it's human and the way dna works is there's actually a a bank it's 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 a repository of, of the dna of every creature known to walk the earth and when you get a sample your sample is compared to what's in that bank, and if it doesn't appear if it's something anomalous that it's something novel, my experience has been it's going to be classified at best they'll tell you it's unknown that's the best you can hope for um and at worst, they're going to say well you must it must be contaminated because it's we can't there's nothing in the in in the in the database uh that shows you know and it's close to human so it must be human uh and that's typically you know what happens that's what happens with hair evidence that's what's happened with blood evidence Uh, unknown that would be exactly what you would expect a legitimate dna sample of, of, of of a sasquatch that you would expect that to be the result um but instead of that being intriguing to people, they just throw it out. And I think most people think uh, if you had real DNA, they'd test it. Oh, yeah, this is Bigfoot. And it would be well, now it's in all the wildlife books and everything. And that's just not how it works. And people don't understand that. And the other thing they don't understand is where did those DNA samples in the database come from? They came from uh, uh um, holotypes they came from specimens that were collected
1: that's it we're going to break here for a moment then we'll continue with michael tim and Jean. you're in
6: a podcast.
1: do you need a website well you can get a great deal on hosting services with namecheap's legendary coupon code they're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Name Cheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money back guarantee.
10: Hey trader, listen up. The markets have changed. Have you changed your trading strategies? Vantage Point can help you conquer volatility. Learn to trade with artificial intelligence. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 and discover how to predict stock market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's patented AI can give you a massive edge. Text MONEY to 813-813 to get what you need to stay ahead of markets, and find your best entries and exits. Text the word MONEY to 813-813.
11: Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. By texting, you agree to the terms available at vantagepointsoftware.com slash terms and consent to receive calls and texts using automated technology about offers or info by or on behalf of VantagePoint. Your consent is not a condition to purchase and can be revoked at any time. Message and data rates may apply.
10: Text MONEY to 813-813.
5: I'm about to give you a life-changing URL that if you will simply visit it and give these tax consultants a call, it will change your life. Whether you're a blue-collar worker or whether you're a school teacher, or whether you're a scientist or whether you're a millionaire, almost no one out there is taking advantage of legal, lawful tax loopholes. Go to GCNtaxcut.com. That takes you right to American Tax Solutions, and they will give you an amazing preview of what they can do for you. GCNtaxcut.com. GCNtaxcut.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at the Paracast.com. That's news at the Paracast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So, this is a cart before the horse situation. In order to seriously evaluate the possibility that the DNA you got. Is of a Bigfoot, you've got to have a Bigfoot sample sitting there. It's also yeah, it, possible, quite possible, absolutely. they're so closely related to humans or some other conventional animal that the differences will not be significant. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, we're so similar,
2: not just to apes. I think it's pretty well known fact that. I think we're about 96, 97% of our DNA is the same as a chimpanzee. But what a lot of people don't realize is 90% of our DNA is the same as a rat. I mean, that's how similar we all are. There's just these very small differences. And of course, you know, you're talking about, uh, I don't know how many pairs of of genes, you know, you're talking about in in a strand of DNA, but... And and when someone tests DNA, they're comparing them to what that you know to known primers. You know that that okay, this is probably the most similar to to what they've got. And they're not testing, they're not looking at every single gene in in a DNA sample. It would be impossible almost. But what it's going to take is for someone with a little faith that these animals are real to get a sample that they believe is legitimate because of the context under which it was acquired.
1: Now, when you made the reference here before, I was thinking of the phrase from the movies, You Dirty Rat. Mm -hmm. And you never know how close people come to that, Tim.
6: (laughs) There was the case last year where uh, they did the uh, environmental uh, DNA at a location in Kentucky. And, And that is where... They had evidence that, you know, possibly, you know, a, a wood ape had been at this location. So they took uh, dirt samples that would then reveal all the animals that had mm-hmm. been in that area. And at uh, one of the samples came back as pan troglodyte, which is a chimpanzee. Now, mm-hmm. as far as I know, there's no chimpanzees in Kentucky. Not naturally occurring for sure. No. You know, and uh and that's where you do your
2: homework. Is there a primate sanctuary, you know, somewhere in the area? Have they had any get out? You have to you have to cover those bases. You have to check those boxes. But you're right. They they did a similar thing over at Loch Ness, uh, with environmental DNA, taking water samples at various depths in different parts of the of the loch, looking for something anomalous. But uh the thing about any DNA test, it has to be repeatable, you may get some kind of weird anomalous result. But if, okay, my peer over at the University of whatever, or down at the Smithsonian, he needs to be able to repeat this test and get the same result. That's how science is done. It has to be repeatable. And to do that, you got to have a specimen. You have to have a piece of the animal Because without it, you can't repeat it, and and you don't have something to compare it to, and it's going to be thrown out. It might be categorized as compelling, interesting, but it's not going to be added to the, the canon of known animals. It's just not.
1: So what do we do? How do we prove the existence of an animal with DNA that we're not going to be able to catalog in any meaningful way? There are very Mm -hmm. few tracks. What do we do? You know, it's an unfortunate
2: fact, and I don't relish this at all, but I I think it's going to take a body. I think it's going to take a specimen. And I don't think anybody is excited about pulling the trigger on one of these things you know uh, the best case scenario would be if we're in our study area and we come across the body of one that clearly is 80 or 90 years old and died peacefully in its sleep or something and then we have our specimen no animal was killed before its time and there you go. And you've got it. Maybe, you know, we've heard a lot of stories about logging trucks in East Texas and the Pacific Northwest that had close calls, almost hit one of these things, or in some cases did, but it limped off into the woods or whatever. Something that occurs like that, or it could be a hunter uh, that takes one. But I think that ultimately that's the only thing that the scoffers and the skeptics will not be able to crap all over is you put one on the slab, here you go, there it is, or here's a piece of the animal. Because you, know, you don't have to have a huge you know, nine-foot specimen to, to repeat the DNA testing in different locations at different laboratories. But I think that's what it's going to take. I don't think any video or photograph will be good enough. And I don't think genetic evidence without that specimen to go back to will be accepted by the true mainstream scientists of the world. I just just don't think it'll happen. I I would love to be wrong about that, but I don't think I am.
1: Okay, looking at this mystery, we're assuming physical creatures that we haven't basically classified yet. Any possibility of paranormal origins?
2: uh, Well, all I can tell you about is is my experience and the experience of my uh, fellow NAWAC members. We've heard all the stories about telepathy and and how they spoke to you and, you know, using their minds. And they, I saw one step, you know, they'll tell you, I saw one step into a portal or out of a portal. And, you know, all kinds of stories that uh, range from the fairly benign to the outright just really out there, you know. Uh, My experience, those of our members, we haven't experienced anything along those lines that would be even remotely considered paranormal. Everything, every behavior, interaction, visual, auditory sound, it all fits very neatly under the great ape behavioral parallel that umbrella now, what's interesting is the behaviors aren't like only an orangutan or only a gorilla or only a chimp the the wood ape the the sasquatch seems to be a kind of this amalgamation of of all of them. It has some characteristics it does some things gorillas do, but it does some things that chimps do, and it does some things that orangutans do and but it all fits under that umbrella very neatly from what we've experienced and seen. Now, I'm an open-minded guy. If I see a UFO land and, and the ramp comes out and a couple walk out into the woods, I'm going to have to reevaluate. But uh, t- uh, at this point, I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that. An overused axiom is, you know, incredible claims you need incredible evidence or something along those lines and uh, I think the existence of the animal is amazing enough and I'm really hesitant to explain one mystery by attributing it to another mystery if that makes sense
6: you're talking earlier about uh, getting a body Either, you know, eventually one's going to get hit by a truck or a hunter is going to get it. Yet a lot of hunters uh, who have had one of these things in their sights are really loathed, have been loathed to pull the trigger because they look so human. Before
1: we go on to trigger pulling, let's talk with Michael and Tim and Jean. In our next segment. You're in the
9: Pericast.
15: My name is Stephen Heuer. In 1976, when I was 15 years of age, I was poisoned from two mercury dental fillings. The mercury came off these fillings in such high amounts that I went from having excellent health to having chronic constipation and candida overgrowth. I could barely eat any food for four years, which resulted in adrenal exhaustion by the age of 20. Despite years of diet experimentation, juice fasting, and intestinal cleansing, it was not until I took certain prescription sulfur amino acids that I healed my eliminatory function and eliminated my candida overgrowth. Later, it was not until I began to consume green. Green Meadow Way that I eliminated my mercury burden 100%. Had Green Meadow Way existed in 1976, I could have healed my gut and body decades earlier. Green Meadow Way supplies a very high concentration of the sulfur amino acids needed to fuel glutathione production. Glutathione removes mercury and virtually all other toxins from the body. Set your body free from the burden of heavy metals and environmental toxins with Green Meadow Way. To order, go to bestwayprotein.net. That's bestwayprotein.net. Or call 888-988-3325.
20: A little bit more than three days after President Biden was cleared to exit coronavirus isolation, he has tested positive for COVID 19 again.
5: Hey, folks, right here. Tested positive this morning.
20: White House physician Dr. Kevin O'Connor said in a letter that Biden had not experienced any re emergence of symptoms and continues to feel well. O'Connor said that there is, quote, no reason to reinitiate treatment at this time. In accordance with Center for Disease Control and Prevention guidelines, the 79 year old president will re enter isolation for at least five days. The agency says most rebound cases are remain mild, and that severe disease during the period has not been reported. This is USA Radio News. Indiana state senators passed a near-total abortion ban Saturday during a rare weekend session. The bill will prohibit abortions from the time a fertilized egg implants in a uterus. The only exception would be allowed in cases of rape and incest. But a patient seeking an abortion for either reason would have to sign a notarized affidavit attesting to the attack.
9: The winner of an open seat on the town council in Chapin, South Carolina, will be decided by write-in votes. That's because no one filed their candidacy with the Lexington County Election Commission for the open seat by the noon Friday deadline. So the town, northwest of Columbia, will proceed with the September 13th special election with no names printed on the ballot. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York.
20: This is USA Radio News.
12: That's 818-984-6100. Shop Hi, this
5: is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Yeah, you don't want to accidentally shoot someone who's been living off the grid for 50 years.
6: Well, and, and the point that I, I, I was getting to is that, first of all, I mean, do you think these things are intelligent? And And by intelligent, I mean close to human intelligence. And then taking that next step, do you think that they're pretty closely related to humans. I mean, you you said earlier that, you know, the great apes, chimpanzees Mm -hmm. especially, I mean, we're, you know, just, just, you know, really just a few genes off. Do do you think that these things are in line to being, you know, almost like, you know, kissing, maybe even breeding cousins? Hmm. That's a good question. And I think they're at least as close
2: as the known great apes are to us, maybe even a little more. So if a chimp is 97% and don't take that number as gospel, but it's in that, it's in that neighborhood. Maybe these are 99% genetically the same. That still doesn't make them human necessarily. About the only thing that we have in common with them as far as truly human characteristics is this bipedalism, this walking on two legs. And the hunters that, uh, you know, growing up in Texas and, you know, speaking for myself and, and others, you don't shoot anything on two legs. That's a person because that's the only thing in the woods it could be that walks on two legs, right? It has to be a person. So when they say it looked human, a lot of times when you dig a little deeper, it's not that they physically really looked human. I mean, they're covered in hair. They're monstrous in size. They're, you know, they're clearly not a person, but they looked human. What that means, it was walking on two feet, Therefore, it's human. You know, it has to be, right? Because that's all it can be in their mind. Now, you get into the question of of what makes a human human. Is it just because it walks on two feet, it's human? I think there's more to it than that. You know, we we haven't uncovered any evidence that they use fire uh, or can control that. Uh, Humans like their stuff you know they they adorn themselves they collect things they they carry things with them when they're buried they're buried with their stuff and their ceremonies and and belief systems and we haven't seen anything that would lead us to believe that there's anything like that going on with with these creatures um i understand to a degree the hesitancy uh the, the how it's distasteful to say a specimen is needed, but I think what you have to do is you, you have to get away from thinking of the individual, and you have to think of, of the population as a whole. What I would be in favor of would be taking one to save them all because habitat destruction's a real deal. Hunters aren't going to make these things go extinct. It's when when you bulldoze the woods, that's what's gonna make them go extinct, right? And so to get protected habitat, you have to first prove it's a real animal. I can't go to the government with a petition, we wanna create a wood ape sanctuary, a Sasquatch sanctuary in southeast Oklahoma that's off limits to development. I might as well be asking for a unicorn sanctuary to be Created right. Um, well,
1: in this day had, and age, a lot of people would real. say, even if you could prove the unicorn or the Sasquatch, it doesn't matter if they don't deserve that kind of protection.
2: Well, you know, I, I don't know how you can, you know, Hopefully, you talk to some people with with some more sense than that. But I, but the first thing I think the first step, you know, that's we'll fight that battle once. We prove it's real and you know our group you know conservancy is part of the name and people say well that doesn't match up you're in favor of killing one that's not conserving well that's the way science works and you're conserving the population yes this individual uh will pay the price so to speak you know possibly uh but if it saves all of them you know, to to make a very shallow and poor comparison, but we we've, we've been talking about movies. What what's the asteroid movie? It's going to hit the Earth with Bruce Willis. You know, uh, is the main character and Ben Affleck's in
6: it. Uh, Armageddon. Is that Armageddon? Yeah, I think so.
2: There were two that came out almost the same time, but I I think that's the one. Yes. You know, Bruce Willis sacrifices himself. Right? He lands on the asteroid, and and he the only way that he's got to blow the asteroid up by setting off this you know, nuclear device, and it it can only be set off by him physically doing it. And so he's going to sacrifice himself for the whole planet, for the whole human population. And that's, in a way, that's a ridiculous comparison. It's just a movie and all that stuff. But in a way, it, it is apropos in the sense that this one specimen who pays the ultimate price by getting hit by a truck, being shot by a hunter, dying of old age and being found, whatever the case may be, that's going to be the most important individual of his species to ever have existed, because that's the individual who will get them all protected and saved, theoretically, you know. And so that's the way I try to get people to think, and it, you know, it's a very emotional thing, you know, for a lot of people, Uh And they can't get past that death of the individual. And they can't think in terms of of a population. But that's the way it works. That's the way I think it's going to have to happen. I think it's the only way that it'll happen. Uh, I wish it was another way. And maybe, you know, science is advancing all the time. Maybe this environmental DNA will come along. Maybe at some point... Video, okay, that's absolutely real. Maybe there'll be a way they can discern that and, and not suspect CGI or special effects or something. But right now, I think that's the, that's the way it has to be.
1: Well, then we'd have to assume they're intelligent enough to survive the capture, behave themselves, and be used or willing to be used as a specimen to preserve their species
2: well no i i, I, I don't, let me be clear the specimen would have to be dead i i don't you know i mean that's it it's gonna have to be a a, a dead body uh uh because I, I am i would not be in favor of putting one a living one in a cage i think that's about as cruel a thing as you can do to anything in a lot of ways so uh, i think uh, you know, I, I think that's what's going to have to happen. Uh, you know, and there was a primate, uh, a monkey, that was discovered. I want to say in Central or South America within the last couple of years, and it was hailed and it was written up in these these journals, and um, they they published this article on it and all the statistics on it and measurements and this and that. Well, you know how they got all that information is they shot one out of a tree. That's what happened, you know. And it's, here's this brand new, you know, monkey we don't recognize. Well, that might be a new species. So they shot it. That's the way it works. And it's kind of the ugly side that people don't talk about. But that's the way it is. And um, and like I said, I don't want to be the one to do it. I, I wish there were some of the way. Like I said, it, I, nothing would throw me more than finding remains. Of, of an animal that passed away of some sort of natural causes you know but if you ask what's it going to take it's going to take that specimen that's unfortunately what i believe
1: okay finding a dead specimen why hasn't it happened yet after all these years all these sightings we can't find one specimen mm-hmm. to use well the explanation it probably won't be
2: completely satisfactory uh, to you or anyone else listening. But the fact of the matter is nature doesn't allow bodies to just lay around very long intact. Uh, predators do their part. Um, then the, uh, uh, you know, the, the vultures and the insects get after it. And, uh, and the bones are scattered uh, they're eaten, they're chewed on, they're dragged around. Um, and I think it's very possible remains have actually been found. I, I, I see bones in the woods all the time.
1: Hey, you know, all the time we have these announcements, 12 times during the show. With Michael, Jean and Tim, you're in.
6: The podcast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN.
1: Once again, the PowerCast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
3: If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. go to mysolarbackup.com to learn more and check availability that's mysolarbackup.com look for the free report crisis cooling how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage yours free at mysolarbackup.com
12: Extendivite really works here's just a few testimonials from Amazon RL, 5 stars been taking this for 2 months now I feel better, have more energy. April, my husband started taking Extendivite and he said he feels much better and has more energy. EW, need to try, everyone needs this for their health. Great product, great people. Josie, it works great. This product has made my blood pressure and cholesterol stable. I highly recommend it. JC, great product, has worked well these last few years. To get your ExtendoVite today, go to extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Or call us at one
21: 928
16: 8822
17: Extend your life with
21: ExtendoVite. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the mineral doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422.
15: This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And by the way, neighbors, Michael Mays will return for after the Paracast. We've got 1,001 questions to ask, him. let's get back to proving the reality of Sasquatch. So you're suggesting here, Michael, that maybe we've already recovered something significant but we don't recognize it right yeah I, th- I think it's very possible that there are
2: bones in some museums you know it's in a drawer somewhere th- there's all kinds of stuff that hasn't been that's been found hasn't been cataloged or studied or had dna testing done on it and you know mr and mrs joe hiker out per joy walk out in the in the mountains and you know, a Pikes Peak or wherever they may be, they may find a bone. Oh, this is cool! They have no idea what it is. I mean, how many of us are familiar with anatomy? How many of us are anatomists? You know, what, what is, you know, what kind of bone is it? A Most people, oh, it's a deer or a hog or something, and and they don't think anything about it. I think the only thing would ring a bell with almost everybody would be a a basically an intact skull, and that's just hardly going to happen. You know, acidic soils, carnivores scavengers. They're going to pick a carcass to pieces. A body just doesn't last very long. You think there has to be, for example, more bears out there. I know there are in the Washita's where we're doing our work. They're they're everywhere. In 16, 17 years of going out there, do you know how many dead bears I've found or remains of bears? Zero, not a single one. And I know they're out there. You know, I was out there for a week uh, last month, and and saw six had sixteen different bear visuals in a week. Never found any remains of a bear. Bodies just don't last very long in a natural setting. It gets lots of rain. It's humid. It's hot. Acidic soils. Like I said, the the different animal life that's going to feed on it, and then you add to the you know the fact an animal that's sick. Is, say it is hurt or or has an illness. You think of an old dog, you know, a neighbor of mine years ago had an old hound dog got bit by a rattlesnake and it it went up under the house. It got as far away from people. It felt bad. It didn't want to be touched. It didn't want to be fooled with. It, it went as far into as a remote and inaccessible of places it could get to. And, you know, it was a deal where he was like, well, it's going to die or it's going to lick it and it'll come out in a day or two. And I think the same kind of phenomenon happens out in the woods, you know, something that's sick or hurt. It's going to go the most remote spot it can find where it's going to be left alone, and it's either going to get better and leave, you know, or it's going to pass away there. And somewhere that remote and hard to get to, you're just not going to come across it very easily.
1: Now, the other consideration here is what is the intelligence level of a Bigfoot and are they intelligent enough to want to do something with their own dead? Boy, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I think they
2: are. From what we've seen, they're, they're very furtive. They're very clever. They're very, They do learn. They make mistakes. They tend to not repeat them. But I've not seen anything or that would convince me they're on a par with you know true human intelligence Bur- burying the dead. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, that's certainly one theory some people are proponents of as to why we haven't found one. Others say they eat their dead, you know, Or and it's one of those deals. It's all speculation at this point. We just don't know.
6: Well, I mean, we see that behavior with the uh, with the great apes, where they'll take an individual and I mean, they will bury it, but they'll drag it off the beaten track, so to right, speak. Right, right. And you've all heard stories, you know, of elephant graveyards, and
2: and they're always in some super remote, hard to get to place where it doesn't get a lot of traffic, animal or human. And if something like that's going on, that that plays into why we haven't found any.
6: So if in a just perfect scenario, you know every, every group like this has you know has has this wish you know you, you get a benefactor who would give your group unlimited amounts of money. What would your group do you think would do with that money? What kind of technologies do you think you would bring into play or, or, or whatever to um, help further your research? Well,
2: I think the thing we would do, obviously we would invest in thermal imagers that could take video and and the, you know the best photography equipment and and all that kind of stuff you know but i think that the best way to spend uh, a resource like that if you if you had that kind of money you need to hire people to be in the field 24/7 i think that you know why we not found them the number one reason is is really uh, as far as Percentages, nobody's looking. That's the number one reason right there. So few people are out there for so little amounts of time that statistically, you know, we're looking 0% of the time. It's like these game cameras. You know, we had two dozen game cameras out in the big thicket for years. Project called Operation Forest Vigil. Well, this is a 25,000-acre unit. we got a couple dozen cameras. Statistically, we're not even watching one half of 1% of the land out there. So the, the idea, the percentages, the, the, the idea that something's going to stumble across one of these cameras, you know, that chance is pretty low. So the, I think the best use of resources would be you got to have people in the field all the time. You can rotate them in and out. You know, It doesn't have to be the same poor guy that's out there for 365 days in a row. But you have to have people in the field i compare it to the way they got pictures of the snow leopard over i believe it was in uh, nepal maybe tibet they had these wildlife photographers hanging off in a blind off the side of one mountain focused on this specific ridge across this gorge and i forget how many months they were out there and they finally got you know three or four minutes of footage after just months and months of just continuous presence that's what I think is, would be the best use of that money.
1: Ideally, you need the group of scientists who were interested enough or got the grant, as if anyone's giving out grants for Bigfoot research. Yeah, to exactly. Make it so, we're going to have to end this in a moment or two. Then we're going to have you back with After the Paracast for further discussions. But can you tell our listeners where we can find more of what you do and what are your plans for the near term?
2: Well, again, you can find out more about what I'm doing. I have a blog site, the Texas Cryptid Hunter blog site. I've been doing that for better than a decade now and and have enjoyed that. And It's a little more variety to it than just Bigfoot-type stuff. Uh, If you want to know about the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, it's woodape.org. I highly encourage you to visit it. The book I've just written is called Valley of the Apes the search for Sasquatch in Area X that's available on Amazon and Books A Million and Barnes and Noble and all those places where you could buy online books. There's a Kindle version that's out there if you prefer that and uh, would really appreciate that. Uh, if you want a signed copy you can get in touch with me my email is mikemaze 44 at yahoo.com and you can contact me directly, and we can, we can work that out if you want a signed copy. But uh, those right now are probably the three best spots to see what I and uh, my organization are up to.
1: Just think a regular school teacher and <laughs> in the dark of night. He is searching for strange creatures of the night. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. Go check out our branded merchandise at the theparacast.shop where we offer special logos, we offer real high-quality T-shirts and throw pillows and all that good stuff. I'm not mentioning much about Facebook because Facebook would not put the PowerCast.com URL on their site. And I've complained. <laughs> but then again, Tim Swartz has ConspiracyJournal.com, which is a perfectly <coughs> benign name, and they won't do that. They allow lots of crazy stuff there, but who knows. We also offer... The Paracast Plus. The Paracast Plus includes this show, Free of the Network Ads. And we also offer the After the Paracast podcast, where we extend the discussions with guests, have special features, that sort of thing. And every so often, we've got other special recordings, like, believe it or not, and we disbelieve it, we actually have Billy Meyer speaking in English with our staff announcer, Bob Zanotti, recorded years ago. This way at least you hear what he has to say, even though it's pretty wacky. To sign up with the PowerCast Plus, go to the Plus. the Plus. Get this. Use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20, to save 20% on five-year and lifetime subscriptions, the Plus. Michael, thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it very much.